Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg for this Cinematics episode. It's a special one because the first segment is a 40-minute interview with filmmaker Mark Bellington, a director I really love for a couple of reasons. First of all, I've interviewed him a couple of times recently within the last year, and I still haven't gotten... There's so many things to cover. We could basically, me, Bruce, and Eric, we can interview Bellington for five or six hours and probably not even cover the breadth of his work. Specifically for this interview, we are covering his latest film. It's called Survive. It stars Sophie Turner and Corey Hawkins. It's a plain survival, dramatic adventure, action adventure thriller with a little bit of a personal drama element to it as well, which I really enjoyed. We review it, me, Bruce, and Eric review it after the Pellington interview. But first, check out the Pellington interview. 40 minutes of really good stuff. If you're a cinephile, if you've, I'm sure you've appreciated some of his stuff. The, the Mothman prophecies. Let's see, Arlington Road. Going All the Way, I I love Going All the Way, just a quick aside, Going All the Way, 1997, I first time I saw it, that was not his cut, but it was a theatrical cut, a couple things I remembered, it starred a couple of really beautiful women, Rachel Weisz and Le- Leslie Ann Warren, remember, and I believe Amy Locaine was in it as well. You think you got to think about it. I was 26, living living Cover City, and I remembered it was a period piece, great soundtrack. So I saw it from that kind of early mid, well uh, mid twenties type of guy living in Cover City, being single. So wh- when I saw it going all the way, I just saw it as a coming of age drama starring Jeremy Davis and then relatively unknown Ben Affleck as well as is in the movie. Years later. As of, I think, last year, I interviewed Pellington for the director's cut of Going All the Way, which I forget, it adds a lot more footage to it. And now, as a, I'm not 26 anymore, I'm in my early 50s, I think I was 50 or 51 when I saw it, an even better movie. And I saw it for a lot more depth than I initially saw it. I don't even, I, it'd be interesting if I go back and watch the theatrical cut and check out the new director's cut. But this director's cut, I mentioned during the interview, it's a masterpiece. And I, I really believe that it, it's a movie I can't wait to purchase on Blu-ray on Oscilloscope Laboratories. Highly recommend this movie, guys. Definitely check it out. Another thing I'm going to check out is one of the, his personal films. I think he said only four people will see it, but I think he was exaggerating, meaning it's an, a very indie film. It's called The Severing. It's out now on Kino Now, that streaming service, which I, I think I'm going to plunk down some money to actually getting to the whole Kino Lorber universe. But if you are a physical media person like me, too, um, it's all, it's available on Kino Lorber. It's a dance movie situation thing uh, the severing and it has a lot of blu-ray special features i might purchase a blu-ray just on a blind buy because i like pellington as a person and uh, as a filmmaker so the severing is available on kino lorber i'll leave those notes where you can purchase the severing where you can check out um well going all the way is not out yet but and it's most importantly where you can check out survive as well I'll, i will leave links for that i highly recommend survive especially if you like these plane crash survival thriller type of movies, but it's also some really good acting from Sophie Turner and Corey Hawkins. And during most of this interview, it's this 40-minute interview we run, runs again. He talks about Survive. Eric Eric Holmes asked a great question about success, and it's a very surprising answer for Pellington, who's had just a career. I'm looking, let me look at the IMDb right now. Let's see. It goes, his career started in 1987, and it continues to today. And he has a very interesting layered response on what his view of success is so just go on imdb if you haven't seen his stuff i'm sure you've seen a couple of his movies along the way and 
yeah, very, very good guy, great person on the mic. And I keep, I keep telling him he should do his own podcast because I think his stuff, he can really teach wannabe filmmakers, writers, artists about the process because he had, he's had a successful career on the music video stage as a director and he's directed some top acts and they're, you know, who, who hasn't been affected by Pearl Jam's uh, Jeremy, right? I mean, I'm a Gen Xer, so that was a very big movie for me, a big uh, music video for me. Anyways, so I'm blabbing. Survive is out now on digital platforms via Freestyle Digital Media. Coming right up is our interview. Me, Bruce, and Eric talk to Mark Pellington. Hopefully, this will be one of many down the road whenever his movies come out. And, you know, who, who knows? Maybe if there's a release of the going all the way director's cut maybe we'll have Pellington on again to talk about that movie because that's something that i can't wait for more people to watch and hopefully embrace as well jeremy davis such a great lead actor and it's a beautiful beautiful movie anyways survive is good too solid movie i recommend it tell me what you think tell us what you think of this interview with mark Pellington, and then after the Pellington interview we jump on to our weekly reviews on cinematics thank you guys so much and talk to you soon bye-bye Everyone, here's another episode of Cinematics. This is a very special Cinematics because we're starting off the show with a filmmaker that all three of us really love. Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes, by the way, I'm speaking for you right now, and then you guys can add into the intro. I've always loved the films of Mark Ponton ever since I started on the Radio Press Junket Tour. So, Mark, great. Thank you for, so much for being with us another time for, again. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, you're here for your new film, Survive. It's not really a new film, because of the Quibi situation, can you just tell us the origins of it? And then obviously I have, I always have this fantasy of filmmakers and editors being in their room, just never wanting to leave and just spending months and years on a project. What was the editing process like for survive? Because it's, I was just thinking of you in a, just a, a room, just putting the images together. Well, you know, it actually is a new movie because it's actually a movie. It's a feature length. Who knows? These are the days of like where the word movie and film are really being kind of redefined, right? So if in the old days it was like you'd go to a theater and have the experience of watching the film, then you'd watch it again in some sort of alternative smaller screen space, DVD or, or at home, correct? Now with streaming and everything, that has become, I think, for the most part, the primary way that, you know, narrative content is consumed. So it's really like last night we screened this film called Survive, which we made three years ago as a series, 12-part, eight-minute to nine-minute chapters for Quibi, the short-form app that was supposed to be on-the-go you know, eight-minute movies broken up into chapters. They lured everybody from Del Toro to Spielberg to everybody in the world wanted to make Quibi. In the short-sighted history of Hollywood, people forget that, like, Quibi would let you say, make your movie. We're basically going to license it for short-form, exclusive mobile content. You get the rights back after 18 months, and you could sell your movie to a streamer, whoever you want, to a studio globally. So, I mean, think about it. You're basically being loaned the money to make your movie as long as they just, you have it for the phone and you can go sell it elsewhere. 
I mean, that's a crazy deal. That's a crazy deal. So they exploited their talent relationships with people and creative freedom and said, I mean, that's great. They had the money. They built up a studio of content, a library of content that they can exploit and own on the mobile devices. They didn't count for that, number one, telling people they can only have it on a phone and not being able to watch it on their computer or TV, right? That was kind of like, all right, well, people don't want to be told where they can't watch something. So that was a little bit of hubris. It was also that was meant to be their kind of their corner, right? We're going to let people watch it on the bus. Well, if you think about it, I, I the other day was watching two episodes of something on my TV. Then I watched another episode on my iPad. Then I watched two episodes on my phone. Then I watched the final two episodes on my laptop. So I spread the viewing of a eight-part series out over four different devices, correct? But if you're saying you're only going to use that one device, I think you're really limiting people. So that was technology, right? Then it just collapsed. The COVID collapsed. And they marketed it as such like, here's everything at a buffet. Your strawberry shortcake and your thousand island dressing and your prime rib is all on the same platter. No distinction. So as a filmmaker, you make a movie, an adventure movie with two great actors, Sophie Turner and Corey Hawkins, you know, an an epic movie, a two-hour movie, 115 minutes, whatever it is, but it's broken up into chapters. And so when they review it like TV and only review the first three episodes, well, the first three episodes of this are a girl in a, in a mental health facility who's convinced that she's going to go home and kill herself. Anybody watching this would have thought it was a teen melodrama about suicide. That's immediately turned tons of people off. They didn't even know that it was a survival story. So there's a lot of like missteps along the way that I just made it as a movie. So last night we screened it feature length. It went to this this route of like Roku bought all the Quibi stuff and still is pieces. But before we finished, we made a feature version. We strung the episodes together, added a couple more, stretched out some big landscapes, which you can do for a big screen, not just on a phone. And we were able to make a feature version that I felt good about to have in the can to sell down the road. And sure enough, the deals fell apart, Quibi collapsed. So thank God we had this piece. We had the file, we had the digital file, the mixed piece, and it ended up, um, with this, you know, newer company called Freestyle that is really a gatekeeper to, you know, as I've learned, these platforms. And there's DirecTV and there's Apple TV and there's all these ways that these movies get seen all the way down to cable, right? So it's going to get out there. And as a filmmaker, you just want your work to get seen. You want to be able to email your brother-in-law and say, Hey, check out my new movie. You can go on iTunes or Apple TV. You just want it to be seen, right? So that's what we did. That long story, forgive me, is really just to tell the uninitiated about the history of it. Quibi, 
And to all intents and purposes, the viewer doesn't know, right? They're just saying, oh, what survived? Oh, Sophie Turner. And maybe they'll see the trailer, and it's a pretty cool little trailer. And maybe they'll check it out and watch a movie with a lot of heart and uh, a lot of, you know, some cool stuff, but also it's saying something about surviving mental health challenges. When you when you made this, knowing, well, I assume you knew ahead of time that this was mostly going to play on TV, but uh, you mentioned like the big vistas and, of course, like all the beautiful shots of the mountains. Uh, did anything go in your head as far as uh, this is going to be a phone? I have to shoot it in a certain way, or or you just you just went straight for theatrical release, and if it pairs down and works on the phone, great, and if not, hopefully it'll be in a theater later down the road. Well. We thought it was going to be in a theater. We were under the assumption that, yes, this was, you're going to make it for Quibi and it'll be on the phone, but then it will find its ultimate life on in a, the- in a theater. Like, yeah, I'm agnostic. I don't shoot something just for a phone. I mean, I've been making stuff for 40 <laughs> years and TV, I mean, you you frame you frame for what you frame, right? So it was this thing of like horizontal or vertical you know, you're just like you couldn't put people way, way, way far on the left of frame, or if you did, you just do a little resize. So you shoot eight a, a monstra eight K, you can repost stuff, but this gimmick of like, hey, I want to watch it like this or watch it like that was it was really marketing. You know, I mean, you you've sat, you've watched stuff at home, right? You've watched it vertical, you've watched it horizontal. I think that was the idea of trying to be a little too clever. I, I shot it to be seen in a movie theater, but I, I mean, I also like close-ups too, right? Which work great on a phone, but I'm talking back to like early 2000s, late nineties before, you know, when you're like, wait a second, you do a music video and the record come and say, well, we can't do split screens because if people watch this on the phone, the image will be too small. Well, that's just that's the size of the screen. So what are you making things for? What screen do you make things for? And ultimately, the image should work whatever screen it you know it, it is intended for. My daughter is used to watching stuff on her TV or her phone, way more than big screen, right? But we're all conditioned. We were brought up watching movies on a big screen where that controls you rather than you controlling the size of the screen. But it's just, there are different experiences. I've watched survive now on the phone and a big screen. And this particular story with the vistas and adventure and avalanches plays really good on a big screen, like the movie cliffhanger. Have you ever watched cliffhanger? Oh yeah. yeah. Great movie. Not as good on your phone. It's still a good movie, right? Still good. Rennie Harlan at his best. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. Now I just make shit and like wherever it's going to be seen, it's going to be seen. I've been, I've felt that way for the last 10 years, to be honest with you. Mark, I, I just really love the film on, on the sense that you, you mentioned it. It's a very cool film. People can watch it on a level of escapist fair to, to have a good time watching Survive. It really personally struck me on a on a, res, a very resonant level 
on how, how do the, the actual title survive is how does one get through the day? And, you know, how does one process one's own trauma and be able to move forward in life? Can, how much does it mean for you to make films that on one level could be entertaining, but then there's so much more beneath the surface like survive? And then after watching this, I, I just can't wait to go and get, I mean, this is a tangent go check out the severing. So I know two different movies, but I think I can be swim in some kind of creative world as far as processing my own personal traumas. How much is that? How much, how important is that for you as an artist to explore these themes? Yeah. I mean, to do it in a way to explore unprocessed trauma and loss via a girl that goes on a plane thinking she's going to do one thing then her life turns out to be the other way and goes from the top of a mountain down to the bottom and finds the will to live in a narrative plot driven thing with music and adventure and drone shots and avalanches and all those things. That was a commercial enterprise where I read the script. I was like, I could do a good job on this. It was a job. And I was like, as an interpretive artist, I was like, I think I could do a good job on it. It was the same thing that struck me about Mothman prophecies. Where I was like, I'm into this topic and in this theme and work closely with the writers to really like put all of myself into it. The Severing is a dance film, which is experimental and like for, for this many people, right? It's for like four people. This is for 4 million people. And hopefully... People can discover it. And that's the good thing about social media. I think it's like if people see this movie and a younger people discover it with mental health problems going crazy. I was blown away last night after the screening, how people responded to this movie because nobody's seen it. Nobody has fucking seen it. The few people that really loved it, that watched the whole series on Quibi, right? Only watched it in doses, but nobody's seen the big the whole thing unfold as a movie from young to old last night, I was blown away and I was pretty critical of it. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Is it a little this or that? Like I was shocked. I was shocked the chord that it struck because of that thing of like, we're all lost and mental health and the world fucking crazy. And this girl goes through the sink because she's Sophie Turner is really great in the movie. The performances are really good, and it's about two people who grow to care for each other through a difficult ordeal. And so I think emotionally, it really, I I was very surprised at the range of response to it, you know, and which feels good. It feels good, and it'll be out there. So you just hope that people discover it and discover it and well, I'm sorry, I'm probably windbagging. I got an email the other day or something on social media 11 years after I made a movie called I Melt With You, which was a really dark, fucked up movie that I made in 2011 about four guys that kill themselves, right? And it's a, it's a you know, allegory about male failure and like a dark version of a Cassavetes movie where these four guys all realize in their 40s that like, they're, they've not fulfilled the promise, right? And very symbolic and really fucked up and very polarizing. And it got eviscerated when it came out. It's becoming a cult film. And this guy sends me this message. I watched the movie with my mother 
and we talked about it for hours. We loved it. But this is 11 years after you make this movie. The fact that it's out there in the universe, it'll always be there. Somebody could always discover it and tell somebody else about it. And you guys could see it and tell people and find something. And like, that's the great thing about it. But if we can just get it out into this system of ones and zeros, right? Then you have a shot. Then you have a shot for something to be seen. Because we know now, I was just looking at a movie. I was like, when is that Shailene Woodley, Ben Mendelsohn thriller going to not cost me $20 to rent? I'm like, what company? Master Gardener I can rent for $6.99, right? Schrader wrote a script for me. I'm like, I'm not paying $19 to rent a Shailene Woodley FBI thriller. I like her. The trailer looks good, but I'm not going to pay 20 bucks for that fucking thing, right? <laughs> But it's on my phone and it's on my little thing. And like, it's out in that little, you know, little thumbnail, like every other movie. And they're there immediately, right? They were just in the theaters, right? Yeah. So you were talking about oh, go watch Blackberry. I'm like, just watch. Uh, <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Great one. Both are good movies, actually. So. Is the Shailene Woodley a good one? Oh, yeah. We all Fantastic. really like that movie a lot. Yeah, so you didn't pay 20 bucks to see it. We did not. <laughs> but I'm offended. You know, it's like, and I'm like, who distributes that? Or what's the deal? Because I understand maybe in the first couple of weeks, like, oh, uh, the hypnotic, the Rodriguez thing with Ben Affleck, right? Which I kind of like want to hate see, right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but like, like, I don't think it's going to be that good, but I, I'll still watch it at home. But like, it's at a reasonable price, right? But why is that Shailene Woodley thing still so expensive to to rent? Well, yeah, I know. We had a big I will discussion say this about, to push back. Oh, I'm sorry. I was say we had a lot of discussion about that movie about like all the barriers to seeing it. We're not talking about your movie right now. Um, about all the the barriers are to watch it. You know, the, just the title alone and all the stuff. And we were saying this neat movie needs to be seen. And like you said, they're putting up these things to keeping from people from seeing it. But. Let's talk about your movie for a second, okay? because that's what we should be talking about. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I want to get to the nuts and bolts of your movie. So as I was watching it, uh, I was, because the first part, sets, everything's going, you know, you understand that. Then the plane crash, I'm not going to get into all the details, but I thought, okay, maybe this isn't going to take place out in nature and in the real world. But then it looked like a lot of this was on location. And I wonder how tough or not tough was the shoot and what was that all about because it looks like it's a pretty inhospitable location for actors and crew to be in it was fucking really difficult so the crash you know the uh, the crash is all like subjective be with her with the crash right you never see the exterior of a plane falling apart right like just right this was a 40-day shoot, $8.5 million budget movie, right? But knowing that, designed it to be at nighttime, and when she wakes up like the Wizard of Oz and she walks out the door, we were truly on the top of a mountaintop in the Dolomites in the Italian Alps. So the right. night shots were at night. We're, we're outside too. Uh, the night shot when she comes out oh, in the okay. snow and all yeah. the flip, that's all done on a stage. That was all done okay. in oh, an okay. indoor soccer stadium in Latvia. Okay, gotcha. We shot the movie in Latvia and the Italian Alps. 
Latvia might as well shoot in Georgia or right. It's an incentive thing. The budget's cheaper and good crews, you know, good support crews. Um, and you bring in your keys and all that nighttime stuff was all created on a stage where you could control the fire and the snow and stuff like that. Um, and then the, the broken airplane parts, like literally like 25 foot chunks of broken, destroyed airplane cockpits, cabins and stuff was trucked to the Alps, to Italy, airlifted to the top of like, because the Dolomites have six or seven ski resorts where the gondolas take you up, but like it's one's really one. They're all rocky, but they're incredible. So the, it was supposed to be like the kind of Western Northern Rockies kind of, you know, around like Montana, Wyoming, stuff like that. Right. And in the story. So you're looking for a place that we were sure was going to have snow, although we didn't always get snow when we wanted it, you know, where there's some production resources. So you're shooting in Cortina, which is at the base of the Italian Alps. And they airlifted the shit to the top of the Alps, to the top of these mountains would, would wind so windy that they would strap it down. Now, up until four days before shooting, there was, there was this much snow on the ground. And we're like, guys, what are we going to do? Like we're screwed. You're not going to digitally, you're going to digitally make all that <laughs> snow there. So the weather forecast snows coming in and sure enough, the day before we're shooting, they dumped like four feet of snow on it so much that in fact, we had to have about 40 Italian guys who created like a pathway, like probably five feet high for us to get out to the plane to push our way out where it like it was up on a level where it was maybe three feet deep of snow where you had to then get the actors out there, place the cameras, cover up the snow. So it looked like virgin snow with drone shots, right? This is fucking not easy. <laughs> yeah, right? It sound oh, like it's it. getting it's going to get dark at 3.30 and you got to schlep the crew. So when I want, but it was real. All of it was real. The Not a CGI shot in there on the Alps. Them walking across from one place to the other. We had scouted them. They go here. Then they have to come down the rocks, around the thing. And we kind of had picked all the locations and said, okay, here's where the, it's like half snow you knew that you had to have full snow for the first tier of it, then the avalanche. But then after the cave, you knew that they could go up and then down to a place where it's rocky and then greenery. As he says, you just keep going down. You got to keep like telling the audience the logic of they got to keep going down to get to the woods, to get to the river, to get to a road or a town, right? That's which is true in that place. When you first scout it, you're like, you'd lift it. You're like, there's only one way to go. It's down, right? So it was incredibly epic, incredibly challenging, but you prep it and we got lucky with some stuff, but the snow came in so fast. So if you recall the scene where she sits there and he goes, we got to go, the snow is coming. That was real. 
like the shot, the wide shot of them trudging through the snow, mm-hmm. like the storm came in about five minutes later. So we had to do basically two days work in about six hours uh, because the then the next day it was all the plane, everything was covered. So continuity, like really, really hard to try and try and control, you know, in terms of the schedule. There's a really tiny moment. It's uh, not to get too much into it, but uh, one of the characters touches a wound on another one. And they're like, oh, oh sorry about that. It, it looked kind of like a, it didn't look like it was uh, something written. Uh, someone touches someone's stomach and the person reacts and, oh, oh, sorry. No, no, it's it's fine. Would, would, is stuff like that, is that something written or is that something where the actors are kind of playing a little bit? Because the moment's really tiny, but I thought it was oh, really it's... realistic to how something like that might play out. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you had to establish early on that, he had internal injuries, right? And the first time is in the back of the thing, and you see something, and it's dark, and he's got dark skin, so you see like a, something's going on. It's not till later where there's ostensibly like a little more morning light on it. You see it's deep and bruised, like an internal injury that gets worse and worse looking. You know, when you've had like a deep bruise, it's like that's that's bad looking. So it was meant to just be like tender like tender to the touch like if you went out to go does that hurt you don't even have to touch it before you realize how screwed up it is so you had to have the arc of injury for him so then it was harder for him to move and then he falls and breaks his um you know splits his his whether arm was it his arm yeah. or his leg or something like that that she sets for him so you know, so he goes, he goes physically, he's deteriorating physically, right? But on terms of will, he starts strong and is like, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, to the point where he, you know, can't go anymore. And she has to change her arc from being like, fine, I wanna die to begrudgingly go ahead to where then she becomes the protector. So there's a little bit of a shift. So, yeah, physically, everything you have to kind of physically track where every character is at every beat, you know? Also, uh, speaking of shifts, um, because you were talking, last time you and Greg were talking about, you talked about, like, success. But I believe you were talking about success in the sense that the movie comes out and it does well or it does not. There's also another type of success, like an artistic success. Uh, Also, like you mentioned, like, a movie comes out doesn't do well but it finds a it finds an audience later on that's kind of like the uh, back and forth kind of what you're describing with the uh strength and losing the strength and vice versa what what's kind of your thoughts on just success uh the financial success of the movie and the stress that comes with that versus the artistic success that maybe comes later on there's like oh uh, the thing uh didn't pick up and then like decades later people love it and you're like hey all right. I've never made a movie that made any money. So the two biggest movies I made, Arlington Road and Mothman Prophecies, neither of them made any money. They were made in a system, 1999 and 2002, they were made in a system that feels like the 1940s. Like in looking at the, the way the movie business was and the way it is now, you know, up until streaming and really like the movie, there was a movie business up until about, 2012, 2014, you know, when streamers started, when Netflix started to come in 
and home video started to decline, then the economic model, you know, changed and collapsed. So I remember one time somebody said something, well, you've never lost money for people. Like I've never had one movie that's been a hit, right? Not one. They've all found their audience. Mothman Prophecies is a cult movie now, 20 years after we made it. Uh, I think because we just didn't show who the scary guy was and it kind of had a tone to it. Arlington Road, we kill the bad, we kill the hero. Okay, well, there you're going to limit your audience by killing the hero in the archetype of an action movie where it's geared to be like, and he's going to save the day. It subverts those expectations. Mothman, we don't explain what happens. So you've got ambiguity, which is going to eliminate half of your audience. Then I made a bunch of small, weird, dark, personal movies that nobody saw, but I enjoyed making them because every big commercial movie that I was attached to never got made. You know, a remake of The Orphanage for Guillermo del Toro, I really wanted to make that. That never happened. Other ones, so I've never been sitting there not wanting to make bigger movies, but nobody's asked and... You just make so survive was actually a chance to come back because like wait this is a big budget this is kind of a commercial movie it was a chance to kind of get back into that you know into that realm of something that somebody might actually go see um, and then I went sideways so I don't know like my father played pro football for twelve years right he was never like an all pro, but he was respected. So I think I still got a little bit of respect, but success, what success? Does the young lady who did Candyman, Nia DaCosta, she's a talented filmmaker. Now she's doing a Marvel movie. Is that considered success because she's doing a Marvel movie? I did commercials for 30 years. I've I've taken my orders from corporations Big time. I know what it's like to be like, I'm just a hired hand. Done TV pilots, you know, so it's, and I've had final cut on movies. It doesn't matter. There's no success. It's you make something and does it find an audience, you know? I made music videos in the day where like these things were huge. Music videos were like as culturally important as movies were. Pearl Jam's Jeremy, it's like, holy fuck, like, if that was a movie, probably more people saw that video than any movie I've ever made before. I think there's a certain group of people that, uh, especially during the time, were uh, would have liked to see that Jeremy movie. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a BC Boy sabotage. It's like, yeah. I remember that movie came out. It's like, or the movie, the the video came out, and like all my friends are like, ooh can't wait to see this movie it's like it's music video but yeah <laughs> i love to see it as a movie too my, they're my favorite form i think they're my favorite form of storytelling so when i made survive i was like maybe it started around 2015 i made this short film for this music i was like i'm just gonna shoot everything the same way i don't care whether it's tv or a music video or a movie there are different skill sets, but after you've made some movies, you understand character and arcs and plot. And I'm going to apply that to videos and then videos. I'm going to, I'm just going to shoot like a motherfucker, direct the actors. So my videos start getting bigger and bigger and more expansive and like 13 minute uh, Imagine Dragons videos and Demi Lovato, eight minute short films. Like 
So these are all on my website. And it's like, I just said, I'm just going to shoot everything the same way. Apply my brain to it. Unconscious, conscious. You know, it's just a question of how many trucks are on the street, right? You have 50 trucks and it's a big union pilot for a TV show. Or is it everything in a van and there's 11 people on the crew? I don't, I don't care. It's all cameras and people and, you know, stuff like that. Mark, final a couple of questions here. Physical media, the severing is, was recently came out uh, via Kino. Can you tell us a little bit about that physical media release and going all the way, your cut, the, the expanded cut, cut yeah. director's cut, which I, I think is a masterpiece. I, is oh, it what is yeah is it coming out on home entertainment as well and then yeah that's you know, coming out they're both coming out kino released this okay the severing is this dark beautiful 75 minute abstract dance film that is out on blu-ray and it's on the kino now platform and i think you can find uh, other platforms i don't know how these things work in terms of like the bod i know i know that if you just go to kino now you can see it and whoever buys Blu-rays, it's a great Blu-ray to own. Um, going all the way to the director's edit, the multi-disc set with documentary and everything is, I think, coming out in about six weeks. But that's on, and the movie itself is on Amazon and stuff like that. And that was my recut of my first movie that I was just grateful to a cool company like Oscilloscope that gave me the bread to re-edit it. You know, I did that for free over COVID, just worked for a year, but a chance to redo the first movie, 50 minutes of new footage, a new score, voiceover. It was like a chance to redo your first, like take your first articles that you guys have written or your first big pieces of pieces, like go redo them 25 years later. It was very satisfying. Mark, before we get to Bruce's final question, you mentioned earlier in the interview about windbagging. I love- Sorry. You know, I, I love your windbagging, and I, I'm going to ask you again, when are you going to do your own podcast? Because I am yes. going to be the first subscriber. I don't care if each episode is three hours. I'll listen to every single second. When is that going to happen? I know you're a busy filmmaker, but is that ever going to be a reality? <laughs> All right. So, well, we can keep going. And I'll shut up and only answer questions. If, if uh, <laughs> um, I'm doing a, I, I wrote a book that's coming out next year. And it's kind of like a 40-year, it's called The Visualist. And it's going to be like, it's literally all this stuff. Like, what are your thoughts on this? What was it like doing this? 40 years of image making and telling stories in all these different mediums. So I think trying to tie together a podcast with that, and maybe I get different people on, you know, like, oh, somebody that was in one of the videos, like my creative partners on these things. Um I just did, got Jeff Bridges and Tim Robbins together to do a, a Zoom interview for the first time for a French Blu-ray for Arlington Road. It was so much fun. All I did was schedule them to talk, you know, and I was like, that would be really fun to do and get like, you know, get get different people you've worked with on whatever the project just to talk about process and experience and tell stories and stuff like that. Um, finally, Bruce. Uh, yeah. So usually we ask everybody this similar question, but when it's a filmmaker like yourself, 
and I do a little variation on it. And we ask various people that we talk to filmmakers, friends, whatever to throw literally give us a movie to go into my box here. And uh, every week I pick one out and I watch it and we talk about it. Usually something that's under loved or underappreciated or underseen in your opinion. But when you have a filmmaker, we like to say, what are, and you've kind of danced around this already. What are a couple movies that you would suggest I put in the box? So we will talk about those movies whenever they get picked out. What is the movies that you think are underseen or underappreciated that we need to talk about? And see, no pressure. You've only got a few to, uh, how many do you have? A <laughs> hundred? <laughs> well, okay. So I don't know, like, is this for you or your audience? Yes. <laughs> it's for the audience and well, us. I don't know how many people have seen Under the Skin. Has everybody seen Under the Skin? I'm, I'm sorry, Mark. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Under the Skin? Jonathan Glazer's. Yeah. Oh, Scarlett Johansson? Yeah. Yes. Like you know, that, that's that, that one's great. It's worth seeing again, even if we have seen it, because he's a his newest one's coming out this year. Yeah, I think it just won can, didn't it? It was like I got well, I got a big prize there, but like yeah, yeah, that movie like really inspired me. That movie really, really inspired me. And in honor of Treat Williams, who passed away yesterday, people should watch Prince of the City. Yes. Lumet's two and a half hour masterpiece of crime, corruption, New York City. Two and a half hours. Like, it's just like. Fucking- oh, you mean the, the length of the average superhero movie? Yeah. Sidney <laughs> Lumet is like a god to me. Like, he really, really, like. Um, we're, we're, on, we're on board with Sidney Lumet. Yeah. But you're, I'm every, not letting you off the hook. Filmmaker should. Watch should read making movies. Sydney yeah, Lumet's You're not off the hook. You have to pick one of your own too. One of my own? Yes. I melt with you. Okay, there you go. I want more people to watch that movie because I think it was very ahead of its time in terms of the the toxic male uh and 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 has a lot of heart. And I think the performances in it are really, really strong and it just provoked such strong reaction in people that was so polarizing i'm like how do you review a movie if you walked out of it like like well how can you review that movie if you you know and it was at the beginning i've seen criticism change over the years from like real reviewers to other reviewers to then bloggers and then like i've seen the nature of criticism change and the personal attacks and, but I really, really like that film and I think it holds up. I just watched it and it feels very much of this time now. And it was made 11 years ago. Very cool. I got, a, got uh, one last one. Yeah. I got a, th- I don't know if there's an answer for this, but I'm looking at your IMDb additional crew, Jerry Maguire, um, uh, credited as bachelor party film consultant. Do you know what that is? I acted in that movie. I, I know you did, but I'm I'm looking at the additional crew. Uh, yes, thing I where made early on in the movie. I step off of an elevator with Tom Cruise. I play his best friend. Cameron Crowe was a friend of mine and uh, had come to some commercial shoots where I was doing at that time, a lot of sports commercials, you know, and so in that world of sports and stuff like that, 
he uh, cast me as Cruz's best friend. And in the film, I make a movie for Jerry's bachelor party. So Cameron interviewed all these people and I helped edit the film that was supposed to be the movie within the movie from like 11 minutes to five minutes to three minutes. And it played back on the, you know, it became very, very small thing. So I was the, me and my partner, Tom Gorai, were the bachelor party consultants on that film. We made the bachelor party film. Sweet. Really love Survive. Mark, thank you so much again for your time. And next time I'm going to make sure you're out will be in four hours, not 42 minutes. So get ready, get ready for that. Anytime, guys. I appreciate you watching it, watching the work, and and thanks for your uh, open ears and patience. I appreciate it. Thank you. See you soon. Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hey, everyone. It's another week of Cinematics. This is episode 195. We were actually, me, Bruce Perky, and Eric Holmes, we were talking a lot of shop talk. We have a a lot of big news next week regarding Cinematics, Anderson Cowan, Eric Holmes, Bruce Perky, me. Eric Holmes, can you tease us what's going to happen next week? Can you say something? Or would would it be spoiling a little bit too much regarding the fate and the future of cinematics? Do you have anything to say? Everything's going to crap, man. It's all falling apart. But there's new merch on (laughs) finderfilmpodcast.com. Finderfilmpodcast.com. New cinematics merch. Hey, it might be the last time you can actually purchase cinematics merch. Who knows? Is that that might be a doomsday thing? Or maybe not. Who knows? I'm I'm trying to be really pessimistic, Eric Holmes. Perky, doomsday for next week, or just a change, changing of the guard, a change, uh, change is going to come, bad change, what? I'm still stuck on the fate. I thought we were going into some kind of a weird crossover in the Fast and Furious franchise, and now we're <laughs> like in that now somehow. So, I mean, I'm getting bald. I can I can try to be family. 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 <laughs> you think you're bald. I have a bald spot right in the middle of my, my head. It's like a big... You, yeah, Eric, I got it in the middle of my head, too. It's like the whole middle of my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Eric, are you going bald, too, or not? Are you okay? Uh, you're going to have to look and tell me. Headache. Oh, you're, no, you're not. See? You're, Just you're, get you're, that you're, luscious yeah, hair right. out of my face. Yeah, yeah. I, you... Br- well, it's God long, too, so maybe if I, like, cut it and it's short, maybe there's something. I I don't know. I don't Let's look see. at the top of my head very often. I Eric be- is, like, what, like 6'3"? He's got a beautiful head of hair. He's younger than me. Just get out of my face. <laughs> yeah. All that beautifulness. Very, very like see? a squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> you should be happy. You know, I don't you know one advantage. No. I, I don't got all that extra flesh, like, tripping me up. It's it's good. It's a family show. I keep it's a <laughs> Eric Holmes, he is he is the spirit, the heart and soul of cinematics. I'm teasing it for next week because we had a long talk about the future and the existence of one cinematics. And I was I was being a Mr. Doom and Gloom and Eric Holmes was the savior with a sword coming in for justice and truth in the American way. Is that correct? Eric Holmes, sword, justice, yes. truth, the American. Yes. 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 Oh, very it's terse. A, I, I like was shit. talking about swords earlier, but again, it's a family show. But <laughs> it's a family show, but are it's these more fam- of a dagger, really? But <laughs> yes, yeah, more more of a dagger. <laughs> oh, very good family show hashtag. Look, here's the thing: for this week, we are covering a bunch of movies. There's a documentary called "Desperate Souls: Dark City and the Legend 
of Midnight Cowboy. It's a documentary about Midnight Cowboy, overrated movie. Next up is going to be, I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. There's a movie that Eric's going to review called Shiro's. There's a, an, another movie that, ooh, Eric didn't get to it. He's been doing a lot of interviews and movies. I don't know. Maybe it might be a screening link thing. There's a Western called Surrounded that, wow, we're, me and Bruce have got to recover this. There's a movie called Mad Heidi. I don't know. I was, I got a link and I think it might be up Eric's alley. Might not be Bruce's alley because he mentioned something about several minutes is, is kind of akin to <laughs> how my dates usually go. And then there's finally Eric and Bruce covered this documentary called Here is better. So we have a lot of stuff to get to for cinematics. Thank you guys for listening to our show. Anderson hopefully will be back. I guess in you know in, in a weird way next week we're and we're gonna have some really big stuff. And then also our box movie is the aforementioned Midnight Cowboy way overrated moving forward. So we're, we're going to cover a lot of these movies. Wait, wait, would you call it a four-star movie, Greg? I think zero-star movie. <laughs> I, yeah, just kidding. That's a joke. I'm being sarcastic. Eric Holmes, I have to apologize personally because, Eric, can you tease a couple of the interviews you have this week, which lazy Greg Srusavonsti has not posted on our YouTube channel yet? What do I have to still oh, post? Post. I'll tell uh, you we got uh, We got Jordan Gertner. From Shiro's, which we're covering, uh, we got uh, the how that talk go with Jordan? You you guys bond on Shiro's? Was it a good talk? Yeah, and actually, uh, Jordan Gertner. Uh, I mean, we'll get into it uh, when we talk about Shiro's. Uh, okay, I believe Shiro's was was their directorial debut, hmm. but they've uh, they've done some uh, uh, producing. In fact, let me pull up. You know what? Since we're talking about it, I'll just pull it up. Uh, they produced uh, Spring Breakers, Chilling mm. Inside Me, Bully, oh. Virgin Suicides. Oh, very good. Uh, oh, what? Oh, what's that movie? Buffalo '66. Like oh, they've, yeah. they've, they've produced some straight up bangers. I heard um, Anderson hated that movie, Buffalo '66. He's not. A yeah, big fan. that's what Anderson. it says. I, I don't get it. And seemed like a movie that he'd like. But I was saying, Anderson Cowan, would you like? prefer a Buffalo 66 or another stakeout? And he said, well, I like Emilio's mustache a little bit better. So another stakeout it is. So and a stakeout, all you stake in. I just like steak. <laughs> steak, daggers, swords. We're kidding. We're kidding. Anderson Count. Anderson Count is a huge, huge fan of Buffalo 66. And I'm going to put words in Bruce's mouth by saying you are a huge fan of Buffalo 66 as well. Am I pres- presuming this or are you, have you seen that movie yet? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I saw it when it came out, whenever that was, was that? 99 2000 okay, way back 2000. in the day yeah 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 Impressed. i liked it it's good uh i did i'm not a huge fan i didn't go back and have to like obsessively watch it but i do like it quite a bit yes was, was it as overrated as midnight cowboy kind of? absolutely as overrated as midnight <laughs> okay i'm ta- i'm talking here and i'm walking here I'm as well talking here. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding we'll see if i give ratso grego that's what i'm gonna start calling you <laughs> no call me what what is it he doesn't like being called ratso he likes being called a- rico call me rico, rico. call me rico, rico salvador Rizzo, Rico, Rico Suave. Suave. Here is better. Here is better. You also have another interview with Here is Better. We're going to put, post that on our Find Your Film podcast feed. Eric Holmes, what can you say about your interview? Was it a good one? You who you talked to and what? Yeah, it's a, a, that that one was kind of a downer just because uh, you know how the the you know what the documentary is about. It's about mental health PTSD, but we did uh, manage to. Uh, can't be a downer all the time. I did manage to get some fun out of them uh, towards the end, but that that was another good one as well. Okay, so we're covering a lot of interesting and good movies this week. Greg, Greg yeah. I don't do I don't do bad interviews. E- even even the worst interview I did, the person I was interviewing saved it. So that was not a bad I, interview, Eric Holmes. You were completely on, on my on my part. It was on their no. part. It was great. 
I listened to your interview with Trip Jennings for Elemental Reimagine Wildfire, and you yeah. did really good because your first question, if I believe, was talking about the truth in documentary filmmaking. You phrased yeah. it correctly. It was fine. It was very good. <laughs> you are being too self-effacing. You be more like me, Greg Shuzvasti, the greatest I, interviewer I, in the world. How about that? You like I, that? I, huh? I, I'm I'm just trying to give credit where it's due. Trip Jennings, yes, went above and beyond in that interview. Yes, I, 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 I was struggling, and he brought it home. So, and bringing it home, what? How many stars did you give uh, that movie? I mean, that would, that was an easy five for me because I mean, you know, when you when you do a movie like that and there's nothing left on the table, that what what else can you give it? How do you make a right. better movie than what he did? He he just knocked it out of the park again. So if you have digital on demand, look it up on your various digital outlet. It, it again, it is elemental. Reimagine Wildfire. Again, mm-hmm. Elemental Reimagine Wildfire. Eric, again, if you live near a wildfire area or if you just want to be educated in the whole business of wildfires, it, it's a must-see for you, right? For for, for people. Oh, say. yeah. Yeah. And just to not only teach you about wildfires, but it teaches you uh, ways that, you know, the science of all of it, which is really interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's good stuff. Speaking of really interesting, on all of this stuff will be found on our Find Your Film podcast feed, which we will be doing a lot more coverage on that podcast feed. So please subscribe to us on that podcast feed as well. Now, also, we interviewed for about 45 minutes last week, Mark Pelton for this new movie, Survive. From your recollection, Bruce Perky, how did that interview with Mr. Pelton go? I remember it being a pretty cool interview. I mean, he I didn't do a lot of talking, which is fine with me he did a lot of the talking which is great uh and he was a really um down-to-earth and forthright uh interview subject about his own work i I really like that he's like one of those directors that doesn't seem too precious with his own work like he he's willing to say what he thinks is great but he's also me like sometimes he'll say like yeah i i had a job and i did the best i could with what they gave me and i wanted to do a good job by what i had in front of me i I just think he was really interesting and and kind of just to see a person who's who's made lots of movies as opposed to someone that's in the first second movie of their career and kind of see that perspective. And also someone who's gone through like we have these various generations of how movies are presented and, and brought to us and produced and all that. So I think it's a a very interesting interview for film lovers, honestly. Yeah, it's a great interview for film lovers. We cover a bunch of his work. And he actually, for 45 minutes, we, we get a pretty uh, interesting look at his career. I mean, there's I'm looking at his IMDb right now. There's so many movies of his that we haven't covered. So I'm excited to see the ones that I really love. Maybe there's going to be a couple of his that he's done that maybe I'm not a big fan of, but I'm just biasly. I love him as a filmmaker, and he is just a workhorse and visionary, I think. I, I loved him ever since Arlington Road and obviously various his various music videos. Eric, before we start doing the reviews, your just overall impression of Mark Ponton. First time for you to interview him last week. And good job when you look look at you being an interviewer. You you actually tied in um, the first interview I did with him several months ago and you tied it into your question about success. I I, yeah. I don't I don't do that because I don't do my homework. But what did you th- <laughs> what did you think of overall of that Pellington interview? Uh, everything Bruce said, uh, similar to when I interviewed George Gallo, you know, George Gallo has been at it for a while. Mark Pellington's been at, like you get, when you have, uh, filmmakers like the, not just filmmakers, but people that have been doing whatever the thing is for a long time, they got a different kind of, uh, take on it than most people do. And I think it's a lot more interesting take because you don't just talk about the movie at hand. You got a whole history 
of uh of work that they've done that you can talk to them about and a bunch of wisdom can be drawn from it for people either getting into the business uh just getting into movies in general um yeah and he was a wealth of knowledge and actually now that i think of it we we talked about mark pellington doing a podcast maybe he should uh hook up with george gallo and the two of them Oh do a weekly it, podcast. It, I'd be there. So, day so one. good. <laughs> just two really interesting filmmakers who've done just a lot of work. And yeah, that, that'd be a great twosome on that. They do a better job than all three of us, right? Don't we do a horrible job, Bruce Burkett, covering films? What do you think? Uh, two of the three of us? I don't know. I mean, we have to just figure out which two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dry wit. Do you have dry wit, Eric Holmes? Because I, I don't have any wit. Do you have any kind of that? You like no, my, my wit's <laughs> sopping wit. Oh, very good. Hashtag family but not show. very large. It's just kind of petite. Yeah. Kind of like no. a pop zit. No, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, wow. That's that is graphic. That is graphic, Eric Holmes. Speaking mm. of graphic, I don't It's not too graphic, but I think it's it's very emotionally taxing, but it's also a very visually immersive film. We were talking about Mark Bellington. His new film, avail- we will actually set post links on the show notes where it's av- available on digital formats is Survive, again, directed by Mark Pellington. And here's a plot synopsis. Quote, when their plane crashes on a remote snow-covered mountain, Jane and Paul have to fight for their lives as they are the only remaining survivors. So yeah, basically their plane crashes out in the wilderness, out in the snowy mountains and wilderness, and Jane and Paul basically have to band together to survive. Jane is played by Sophie Turner, and Paul is played by Corey Hawkins. Here's my little mini review of it both of them do an excellent job as the leads it's not just a plane crash movie it's also a movie about mental health Uh, jane is suicidal she's had problems with she's had emotional mental problems and she was actually planning on committing suicide it's on the trailer before the plane crashed and now she has to rethink her life after this tragedy and then paul is her new friend again played by Corey hawkins and it's about their friendship as they both try to, quote-unquote, survive this very traumatic ordeal. Now, we all said we love Mark Pellington, but we try to be very unbiased reviewers. Are you being unbiased with your review, Bruce? What did you think of Survive? Did it work for you? It it worked okay for me. Let's put it that way. Uh, it wasn't like spectacular, but it wasn't. It was entertaining. So I, I guess the biggest approach I have with this movie, um, the, th- the thing you have to kind of face – at the front end of this, I think, is you have to go into it thinking, this is not going to be a gritty, super realistic view of how to survive in the wilderness after a plane crash. Because there's definitely some things that happen in here where you're like, okay, um, have they eaten anything yet? How long has this been? <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> Or there's some things like where um, they have to get down some precarious situations. You're like, I don't think that would actually be able to happen that way. But this is one of those movies where you kind of like an action movie, right? Certain action movies, you have to kind of go, okay, I'm going with it because the laws of physics here aren't exactly real. Or maybe the bad guys shoot a million bullets, but never hit them. But my, the good guy hits everyone he shoots, that kind of thing. This isn't quite to that level, but there's definitely some things here where you're like, okay, that's not probably how quite how that works, but I'm going to go with it because this is the story and we're just following the story and it, and it's giving us the characters in precarious situations that may or may not be a hundred percent realistic. And and you, if you go with that, I think you'll have a pretty fun time with it. It's not going to be the most spectacularly original movie you've ever seen, but also I think it's, it's way more fun than it could be. And also we don't, I'm not going to spoil it. 
he talks about the production of this movie and how it was originally meant to be, I guess, um, rolled out to people. Yeah. And that makes it kind of almost more impressive when you know that, that like, you're like, wow, this, I didn't consider that at all. When I watched this movie, I didn't know that was what this, I just thought it was a movie and it was doing its movie things. And it was, you know, working most of the way through for me. So I would say overall, um, I had a good time with it. it like I said, it, it didn't, you know, super wow me, but it was, it was fun. Yeah. This movie wowed me. I was actually wowed because again, Sophie Turner, Corey Hawkins, very believable. They have chemistry. Play yes, best friend. They're really good. I will agree with you on that too. Yeah, yeah. You're wondering if are they? Look, it, it is a very sad situation what they're going through. Are they going to be possible love interests, or they're just going to remain friends? It's going to be answered in within the realms of the movie. I look. This movie cost eight and a half million dollars to make. Shot over forty days, and I believe for the budget, it looks really, really good for the budget. So I tweeted that you should definitely see this movie on the big screen because there are some moments these wide and actually Bruce, you asked him the question about these wide open vistas where they shot over in the mountains. I believe it's called Dolmatas somewhere in the Italian Alps. So some of that's in the Alps and some of them is in a soundstage, but you can actually feel the visual breath of survive. And then another part of it, I don't know if it will work for some, it worked for me is a little bit of the the opening act is deals with Jane's mental health and being part of a support group and all that stuff leading up to the plane crash. That worked for me as well. I'm a huge Sophie Turner fan. So all of the elements really worked. And then the final act I was surprised with, maybe Bruce, you're more experienced with uh, with viewing these things than I am, but I was surprised with how it ended. And there is a, I'm just going to say one thing. There is a B movie element to it that I enjoyed because there is a fight in the movie that yes, <laughs> I dog. Come on, I had a good time with Eric Holmes. I've been talking too much. Yield the floor to you, sir. What did you think of Survive? Ah, uh, yeah, I really like this one a lot. Um, so I didn't know watching this that this was a Quibi movie, and then after finding that out, it totally made sense because the the first part of the movie feels like its own you know, uh, like a girl interrupted thing. And that that's really good. And then it turns into like a uh, uh, airplane kind of uh, snakes on a plane, but no snakes, just the plane going down <laughs> on, like alive. And that part's really good. And then you got the survival parts and that part's really like the, I can see after knowing that it was on Quibi, I'm like, oh, okay, I see how they broke this up and I can totally see how this would absolutely work. Um, and I, I do like the, the, the individual stuff. Um, I guess my only main issue is like the very beginning part with the, uh, the girl interrupted part. Mm-hmm. I feel I'm like that could, it. I feel like that could have been its own movie. Like, stre- yeah. like stretch that out a bit and make that its own movie and then have the survival part stretch that out, make it that its own movie. Eric, do um, you feel that maybe it should have started with the survival part with her just boarding the plane? That's like the first. Opening no, no, frame? no, no. Um, I, I'm, I'm saying the way it is now works. But I would have also liked the the yeah. individual parts uh, kind of stretch out as well. It's kind of like a this is what we got and this is good. But if you did this, this would also be good, and we get like three or four movies out of it. Okay, so that that's a that's actually a compliment regarding Survivor. Yeah. Again, we will. It's on Apple TV. It's on various digital outlets, and we will have actual links of Survive where you can get it in our show notes for the Mark Pellington film. I think by the end of the year, I'm gonna look. 
We all love Mark Pellington. We want him back for the show for we said this in the interview because we had to actually tape a podcast. We'd have Mark Pellington on for four hours. He is a salt of the earth kind of guy. We asked, we actually asked him, how long do you have? Do you have like, we were expecting like a 10 to 15 minute out and said, yeah, I'm, I'm here at four. I'm, I'll be here till eight. So he's a re- really good guy. That said, I am divorcing that from my actual thoughts of the movie. I really enjoyed Survive. Let's start with ratings. Let's Final uh, thoughts, anything for Bruce and Eric before we go to ratings? Guys, uh, uh, yeah, one final thing. Um, So on IMDb, they got Survive, the movie that we saw, and then they have Survive, the Quibi series. They have them as separate IMDb things. Interesting. The Quibi, the, the score on Quibi is higher than the movie. That's interesting. And so, <laughs> okay, they're, they're the exact same thing. But the score on one is higher. Like, I, I think the one is like 4.3 for the movie and like 6.9 for the Quibi or, you know, okay. it's, it, it's like two scores, two scores higher. Had which, to throw the 6.9 there, Eric. Yeah. Which, which I think, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know what that means. But I just, I just thought that was well. Like, there was that six point nine scene in the Quibi version that we didn't get. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, family show. Look, let's go. Interesting, Eric Holmes. Let's start with Bruce Perky for your ratings on Survive. Your rating. Um, unlike a lot of movies where I can't just go with the flow, I went with the flow on this one, and I kind of enjoyed myself. So I'm going to go three and a half on this one. Three and a half. Yes, I we, I like Mark Pellington, but I'm I'm a very unbiased uh, reviewer. I give it Survive a zero. I'm giving it a zero. I, I hate I mean, you do what you gotta do, it. man. Yeah, zero. <laughs> do not see survive. Just kidding. I'm giving it a straight up four out of five stars for survive. That is three and a half from Bruce. Four for me, Eric Holmes. Final rating. I'm probably three and a half on this too. But you split this up into different movies and extend them out. Like there's a there's one of these stories that's like a five star movie, and there's another that's like a three star movie, and there's another one that's kind of like a four star movie, and one that's like a two star movie. So, I think I think it all balances out to about uh, three and a half. Three and a half from Bruce and Eric. Four for me. Love all the elements. Hit, hit us back on Cinemax. Tell tell us if you actually enjoyed Survive. Maybe you know what? Why don't you see the movie and then why don't you just go check to see if Quibi's still on your phone and and then watch it on your Quibi as well and see which one does does that, one deserve a four point three and does the other deserve six point nine? Yes, Eric Holmes. Actually, thinking of like splitting it up. Yeah, I think I think I get it. it. It's just a really weird thing to see the same movie on IMDb twice, mm. and then they have like you know wildly different scores on there. It's kind of it's kind of like a uh, you know. Hey, did you see the movie on TV or did you see it in the theater? Because apparently that matters. So there yeah, you go. That, that does matter. Again, we will have the release dates or how you can find it on our show notes for cinematics. Next up is Desperate Souls, Dark City, and The Legend of Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy, yes. It's a documentary on Midnight Cowboy directed by Nancy Bursky. And yeah, that's it. I, I don't know. There, there's nothing else to say about this documentary. I'm gonna let. I'm gonna just start off with Eric Holmes with just your thoughts on the documentary. Does one have to actually be a Midnight Cowboy fan to appreciate this doc? In your opinion, Eric? I think so. Yeah, because this this didn't really do it for me. Um, there was so there was you know the the what midnight cowboy means for the gay community um, in that time. And, you know, uh, current time as much as it can mean anything. Um, You know, that, that was kind of the stuff you expect to be in a documentary about midnight cowboy, 
Um, the only additional stuff that I thought was kind of interesting was the, uh, the MPAA coming by like after midnight cowboy was a success. So you come by and it's like, look, just cut one frame. And technically we don't have to give you an X rating anymore. And it can be uh, the rating. It should have been blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, go, uh, go kick rocks. And then they just said, no, like that, that part was cool, but that was like almost towards the end of the documentary. And it was like one tiny thing. Um, Other than that, there wasn't, much going on. Like the beginning was essentially midnight cowboy. <laughs> they were just playing like 10 minutes of midnight cowboy. <laughs> um, there was a, uh, I can't remember the song, um, but they basically played like a, another song, like all the way through with clips of midnight cowboy. So like a lot of times I'm what a lot of the time I'm watching this documentary, I'm just kind of like, I should just be watching Midnight Cowboy. This is kind of not giving me any of that extra juice or anything that I would expect from a documentary about something like this. Yeah, I, I'm, we're going to get to you, Bruce, just very quickly. I'm on the flip side. I, I just I saw Midnight Cowboy, and then within the next hour, I saw the documentary. So it was just a really great double feature for me. Obviously, 99.9% of the people were not go into it like this. Okay, but with fresh eyes after watching Midnight Cowboy and then actually going into this documentary, I felt this was very value added. I really liked how Nancy Bursky actually, she talked about Midnight Cowboy. She had interviews with the people involved like Jennifer Salt, John Voigt. They had some audio clips from Dustin Hoffman, audio clips from the late director, John Schlesinger. A lot of this stuff. They, she talks about the film and the life around the film, but then she also puts it in context within the year 1969, which I thought was interesting. I found it to be interesting stuff. Obviously, people say, oh, it's just a whole bunch of B-roll and voiceover. But for me, within the context of Midnight Cowboy, this documentary worked. But I don't know. Maybe I'm in the middle. Bruce, Do you? where do you land within me and Eric's take? I think I'm a little more in your camp, uh, Greg. I, I found it pretty interesting, too. Once again, so I'm kind of on the fence about whether it's more or less interesting for a fan or not. I, one thing I pro- a problem I have with a movie like this is and this kind of goes to Eric's side, is that when you have a movie that shows so much of the movie, if someone hasn't seen it, they might kind of feel like, well, I've seen enough now, I don't have to watch the movie, which would be a shame. And it also does reveal some pretty major plot points in the documentary as well. So that's kind of my, my negative to it. My positive is pretty much the same as your yours, Greg. And, and I really enjoyed a lot of the peripheral stuff. Like I enjoyed kind of the history of John Schlesinger. I can never say his name. That's correct. And yeah. and also just kind of how this fits fits into his career and how and obviously it talks about him being a gay man and and filming this film and how he did or didn't, you know, incorporate that into it, but then also talking about the next film he had which I almost wanted to see. I haven't had got around to it, which is um Sunday Bloody Sunday, which I think oh. is considered the first major studio gay kiss on film i i may have that wrong so you know hold, no hold they it said, to me that's what they said it. that's what they said yeah. in the documentary so yeah. i'm really curious about that movie as well um so i really like that stuff i really like the yeah. stuff with the screenwriter and talking about how the blacklisting and all that stuff was going on and then that could be I, another documentary on waldo yeah yeah right and i think yeah. if there is a big knock to it there it, it's kind of like that movie we watched about the um monument valley valley and you mm. can even see it in the in the title of this movie. And that is, it kind of is trying to do all those things. And I was actually interested in pretty much all of those things, but it probably could have picked a thing 
and stayed a little more focused on that thing. So for example, you could just talk about societal stuff and how this represents its time and how it's important societally for film, right? There's a whole bunch in here about how like you don't have, you maybe don't have mean streets and taxi driver looking quite the same way if this movie doesn't exist and stuff like that. I think that might've made it a little more distilled, but overall, I mean, I'm kind of in the bag for this. So I mean, I still had, too. I had a great time with it. I mean, Brian, uh, but, Brian De Palma did show up. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. I remember when I saw that, I was like, Brian De Palma's here. <laughs> but, Brian De Palma um, on zoom. Yay. <laughs> but I was, but I mean, uh, I think this is uh, for me, it's a good supplement to the movie. So I, I'm I'm good with it, but I, I think, I'm not giving it. Also, it's not um, it's not Lynch Oz, which I think was great. Right, right. So. Again, to Bruce's point, if you're a fan of Midnight Cowboy, you might you may be a fan of Midnight Cowboy. So this documentary could be really good for you, but it'll also give you some value added information on director John Schlesinger from a kind of loving his movies, kind of loving Sunday Bloody Sunday. You'll or, and even far from the Madden Crown, you'll get a, a picture of some of the other movies that you can of his that you can check out if you're if you are so inclined by the way i'm going to name drop i've had a one-on-one with john schlesinger way back when really nice guy don't remember too much because like bruce perky we are such old people that i i remember i know that i interviewed him i think it was for this movie he did called cold comfort farm starring kate beckinsale way back in the day i think that that might be it i don't know it's one of these movies but he was a really nice guy also interviewed him for a movie with for Sally Field called Eye for an Eye. I bet you that's a Eric Holmes movie, Eye for an Eye, co-starring Kiefer Sutherland. You should look that up, Eric Holmes. But anyways, this is Desperate Souls, Dark City, and the legend of Midnight Midnight Cowboy. It hits theaters and in New York and Los Angeles, June 23rd. Eric Holmes, your rating on this doc. Uh, this is probably probably go two and a half on this um that you know with the the part i mentioned the stuff with the trial of chicago seven that part was interesting although that was very not related to midnight cowboy at all it was like a lot of the interesting stuff is just here's stuff that happened while midnight cowboy was in theaters <laughs> um but like uh again like watching the the you know all the scenes of midnight cowboy just made me want to watch midnight cowboy uh, all the stuff about Abby Hoffman made me want to watch Trial of Chicago 7. Like, so many parts of this documentary made me w- want to watch stuff that wasn't this documentary. <laughs> that is so amazing. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I really loved it. I, I'm giving it four and a half. I, I just really dug it. Hold on one second. <clears throat> yeah. What about you, Bruce? I'm four stars. I think it's good, but good. good. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Good. Okay. So four yeah. stars for Bruce, four and a half, and a cough for me. And Two and a half stars from Eric Holmes. Eric Holmes levied the two and a half. You haven't done a two and a half in a while. I haven't done a two and a half in a while. So anyways, uh, Eric, that means Eric do not is not recommending this documentary. He, he wanted to see other things. It's a, a little bit of a too much of a what uh, mishmash would, of so many things. I would recommend watching Midnight Cowboy. What do you say, Eric? We might, we might do that later. We're going to be talking that. about it. So. We'll, we'll get to it in a second. But let's get to an Eric Holmes segment. She rose. This hits theaters and digital on june 23rd eric quickly what is it about and your take on shiros so uh shiros are a bunch of uh yes girls uh yes batch uh going on a uh you know they're going on a 
trip somewhere. I uh, can't remember. Um, but they end up in Taiwan because uh, they're something's up with the plane. They got to make an emergency landing. They end up in Taiwan. Uh, but hey, that, it's fine. We'll party here. We can party here just as well as we can anywhere else. Uh, and then some, uh, you know, they go party, uh, go looking for some drugs, have a, have a nice time out, uh, party it up, and then wake up the next day. And, uh, oh, one of our friends is kidnapped, and the drugs that we found are gone, and we are in a way over our heads, and they're fighting, like, the cartel or whoever they got in Taiwan, the drug dealers of Taiwan. And so they got to... uh they got to uh, band together, use their individual talents to see if they can find their friend. And um, it's kind of kind of similar to uh, The Hangover meets like I don't know, Mystery Men, maybe <laughs> some some kind of uh, some kind of in that. This is a movie that doesn't really take itself too seriously. It's kind of stupid, kind of silly, but you know, if you can kind of take it for what it is, you know, it's one that I had a lot of fun with and. I'd like to see more Shiro's. Oh, you want us to maybe? You, okay, you want to see Shiro's too? Did you mention that in the interview? Like, when are we gonna expect the Shiro's too? Can we? I don't remember because I got donkey brains. Okay, no worries, <laughs> donkey brains. No but uh, yeah, that. this is this is uh, this is definitely like a movie that's kind of you know the the everyone's tongue is on their cheek. They're not taking themselves too seriously, but they're just kind of having. I wish someone's tongue was in having, my cheek. I, I I would like that. I, I'm just lonely. I just I'm just with a couple of podcasters. Uh, you know, you're making me depressed about this. I want but, a shoe uh, in my life. Yeah, but the, but this is also a movie. I I could see some people taking it a little too seriously, um, mm. because like like this is one of those movies where like the the main uh, characters in this are you know. Uh, but what's the what, what's the word? Um, what uh, selfish, selfish, uh, selfish, soft? What eh. self? Self involved, self involved. Yes, uh, there's a word self, for it. Selfless. No, self aggrandizing. Self word. Selfie. I can't. I can't think of words Bruce, right now. Scrabble it. Self. Uh, self <laughs> scrabble. They're, they're like more important. They're entitled. Hey, self? They're, there what? you go. What entitled? Is entitled. It, is it, yeah. Oh yeah. Greg um, Chusevasti. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. They, okay. yeah they, <laughs> uh, but uh, the uh, the the characters in this are kind of like uh, rich, entitled women, mm. and so oh, I okay. I could see people watching this, certain people watching this, having a big problem with that. And fair enough. But you know, I just kind of just kind of went along with it. What about this? If you like light and fluffy entertainment, Shiro's it fits the bill. Is that correct or not correct? It's not fluffy entertainment. It's more than that. You think? Um. No, that's yeah. I I don't know that I would consider it light fluffy um cuz that that I'm thinking of like uh you know like a uh Barbie uh after school special type movie okay. which this is not this is like definitely a uh kind of a but you know they 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 make the they make the taken joke in this which I actually love the taken joke in this but if you if you take taken and just make it more fun that's kind of what this is <laughs> <laughs> okay, Shiro's. It's sort of a mystery man meets what again? It's mystery man meets. Yeah, I I, I forgot oh. already. Okay. <laughs> the Hangover and Taken. He said. Yeah, so. yeah, hang, <laughs> Hangover. The the, the story is almost identical to Hangover, but okay, uh, cool. it's got more of an action bent to it than the Hangover does. Okay, so that is Shiro's. It's in theaters and digital June twenty third. Your rating, Eric Holmes. Um, this might be a three star banger. 
if you're in for this kind of thing, I think you're going to like it. And, uh, you know, if you see uh, the entitled characters and that rubs you the wrong way, um, you're going to hate this movie. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it, if you can get on this wavelength, I think you'll have fun with it. If you can't, then, you know, well, nothing I can do about that. Sorry. Think, okay. Well, there's going to be something you can do about this movie from MGM called surrounded. It's available on digital everywhere as we speak. So no excuse. If you want, if you have some money, I think you should pony it up for surrounded, especially if you're a Western fan, the synopsis is quote five years after the civil war freed woman and former Buffalo soldier, Moses Mo Washington travels west to lay claim on a gold mine. The problem is she's in a stagecoach. She's just going west on the stagecoach to, and the stagecoach gets I, I held up by a bunch of outlaws. One of these outlaws is played by Jamie Bell. Most of the rest of the movie has her, Mo Washington, played again played by Letitia Wright, being tasked with yeah, watching this outlaw while the others well, it's a very complex situation, but the rest of the movie has her making sure this outlaw does not escape. Again, that outlaw is played by Jamie Bell, the surrounded co-stars Jeffrey Donovan, Rhett Gelman, and the late Michael K. Williams in a very flashy supporting role. And they're, it's directed by Anthony, Anthony Mandler. I, I interviewed him, and you can check out our Find Your Film podcast for that, for that interview, as well as our YouTube channel for that. But I'm a huge Western fan, and I'm trying to find faults with this movie. I'm hoping Bruce Parkey finds some faults with Surrounded because I am a couple of steps from giving this a five-star banger. I'll be honest with you. So, Bruce, I want some pessimism and some black, dark blackness and existential wow. pessimism. You had to, to make this a black and white thing. And it's a black huh? and Did white you? thing. I mean, I, I'm going to yeah, go to the really? bathroom. You guys uh, call me when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. So – Tell me something bad about this movie so I can. I don't know if I'm going to tell you much bad about this movie. I really like this movie and I am not in really down for a lot of uh, modern Westerns. A lot of times I feel like modern Westerns kind of come across as um, dress up or the production values. It can be really, really flat, almost TV production values. And you just, they just don't feel cinematic. And I think this one, which is not probably a major, this is probably not a huge budget. But I think they really make this movie look good for the budget they have. I think it's it's very stylish, but not overly stylized. I think it it is kind of okay. There's a few things this movie does that I think is really smart and really hard to pull off. First of all, you have a you know you have like you said kind of this action, very um, kind of uh, classic style setup, right? You know, stranger in the town, and I like the fact they don't play it whether she's a woman or not, like. You know, you know she's a woman, but you're not sure what they're playing her as exactly for quite a while in this movie. But you know that she's kind of trying to stay under the radar. And I love how for the first half, you know, it's a stranger in the town. She's got some secrets. You're not sure what's up, but she's trying not to be bothered. She's trying to kind of not be noticed. And then things go south and she's kind of thrown into it. And then for the middle part of the movie, you kind of have a, a two-hander for a bunch of it. But... What this movie does, I think that's really excellent and hard to do, is this could easily be a movie that's way too artsy and way too talky and gets bogged down and doesn't actually have fun with a Western, you know, style. It like doesn't actually have the stuff you want in a Western. But I think this keeps every time you think it might go there, it pulls you back in with some great Western stuff, you know, with with stakes, with 
danger with uh, maybe an action, like kind of a short little action scene or a scene of, you know, a shootout or whatever it might be. I think this movie gives you all the things you want in a Western, does it in a smart, modern way, but also doesn't go too esoteric or too artsy. I think it's got all of it. And a big chunk of that, well, all the actors do a pretty good job in this, but Letitia Wright has to hold this movie down and she is fantastic in this movie and it looks great so what is the wrong one thing i could find about this movie <laughs> the, the only thing i could find about this movie is i don't think that's a real tree that they're next to this giant tree and it kind of bothered me a little bit that it looked like a big fake tree but uh, that's about it that's about all i got yeah i agree with you all 100 percent. jamie bell is great at doing the support yes, work very because good. he's an outlaw but he has colors to his character and you're wondering whether he and mo will end up being sort of convenient not friends but uh, they they might help each other down the road you just never know well you have to be convinced that she can be convinced maybe by him and that's right. part part of that is really good script writing which i think eric would really like this movie um it's that's part of that's good script writing and a big chunk of that also is the acting between the two so i think there's some great chemistry between those two in this movie i, I really hope Bruce, again, on digital everywhere, June 20th, do you think it's going to be a shame if it's one of those many movies that are so good that it kind of gets buried amidst the glut of stuff? Yeah, I, I am afraid of that. And I think, or it could just look like, oh, just another cheap, you know, run-of-the-mill Western. Because I think I'd said to you, but I think before you'd watched it or right after you watched it, I'd said, like, this is my favorite Western since Old Henry. I haven't seen a ton, but I've seen a few. And I think this is right up there with Old Henry as being a really, really fine Western. I mean, you kind of buried the lead there. <laughs> I would yeah. have opened with that. <laughs> yeah. Eric, you would love to round it. I think this is one of these. I think, actually, I think Eric Holmes would give it five stars as well. I, I'm going to give it. So, oh, look, surrounded five stars. You didn't convince me, Bruce. I, I tried to get. I tried to get <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, what's your rating? Bruce, I'm going to go four and a half. I mean, I don't know why. It probably should be. It's four and a half. This is a very, very good movie. And I think it, it, I think if people give it a chance, a lot of people can, can enjoy this movie. Even look, listen to me. I'm not a huge Western fan and I really enjoyed this movie. I am a poor podcaster. I'm not even, I'm barely a podcaster. I think Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky are more podcasters than me. But I'll tell you something. If I was a multi-billionaire, I would, I would surround Anthony Mandler, the director, with a bunch of money. I'd lock him up in a jail cell and say, you know what? You need to make surrounded two, three, four, five. You need to make more Westerns with freaking Letitia Wright. Bottom well, line. This one and Old Henry did two things too, right? They they look they're real places. They're real yeah. places. They're not a bunch of green screen. It just it makes a difference in a movie like this. You want to feel like they're in this place. And he talks about that in the interview. And they were in that place, and you could tell they're in that place. It's it's good. It's it's so good. Please, everyone listening, surrounded. If you have an inkling towards or a passion for Westerns, this is the movie to see. Yes, it's on digital. Don't wait for streaming, Bruce. I mean, we all we're all hard up for money, right? If you have a couple bucks, throw it, throw oh, yeah. it. Okay, it's worth <laughs> it. You'll have a good night. Watch okay. this one. Four and a half for Bruce. Five stars for me, Eric Holmes. You're up with Mad Heidi. Mad Heidi. Uh, I was saying, Casper Van Dien. This looks like a very fun action adventure, uh, kitschy movie. Might be Eric Holmes's kind of film. Am I wrong on this? I might yeah. Be, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you're not wrong. Um, this is uh, Heidi 
but uh, they they have it slathered all over the uh, opening credits. It's a Swiss exploitation movie. Um, this is kind of like a, a hobo with a shotgun, Planet Terror. Like it's, it's a Grindhouse movie, air quote Grindhouse, but like the the post Grindhouse movie, Grindhouse type movies, if that makes sense. Um, uh, but it's you know it's. Uh, if you're familiar with the story Heidi, I re- I remember reading about it when I was a kid. I know it's about a, a Swiss girl named Heidi, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, but she's uh, she's in Switzerland. There's some uh, something going on with like uh, the cheese trade, and then okay. I love this movie already. The cheese trade, okay, yeah, and then so uh, basically the the Swiss army goes in they're kind of they're kind of indistinguishable from nazis for some reason but uh basically they end up pissing heidi off and then heidi just goes on a rampage uh the main problem with this is that it doesn't quite go far enough i think uh because you know it, it has its uh blood and guts moments uh it was definitely funny you know it played with the played with the genre a lot played with the uh, you know, um, tropes and whatnot. Uh, but I, this kind of could have went further. And, you know, we had just seen Sisu, which is a perfect example of something that went just the right amount and then maybe push a little too far, but that's kind of what we want. <laughs> um, this one had certainly had some uh, parts of that where they, you know, like someone gets uh, someone gets hit in the head with a crossbow. Now, what's going to happen when you get hit in that head with a crossbow? Everyone knows that the crossbow, the uh, arrow hits your head and then it explodes, right? That's mm. like what happens in here. You know, it's got stuff like that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's silly. I just wish it was a little more crazier and a little more sillier early on because it took it took a while to kind of get to the uh, the like Heidi was on full display right at the beginning. It took her a while to get mad. And I wish she got mad quicker. That's fair. Eric, the reason why we have links for this, and we're going to get to you in a second, Bruce, about this, it, it was screening Wednesday, June 21st as part of a one-night Fathom events type of event. Yeah. So well, obviously we're missing it per this recording, but do you think Man Heidi will play better if you're going into one of these one-night-only midnight movie fests, or is it still good to see it by your lonesome via on streaming, that type of um probably better with a crowd but even still i think uh you get a crowd like ooh, mad heidi blah 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 swiss exploitation we're gonna get in there the fact that it takes as long to get to where they need to get to i think i think you need to start pre-gaming and just kind of let the movie play and then and then finally get it like 20 minutes 30 minutes in all right we're getting loosed up juiced up all right and then and then you walk in you miss the first 30 minutes but now you're right at the part of mad heidi where you want to be so it it does what it sets out to do it it, you know it's it has exactly what's on the tin but it just takes a little too long to get there for my taste anyway and i think probably a lot of other people's but once it gets there i think you're gonna start having a lot of fun with it bruce brookie did you have a lot of fun with mad heidi I it it just wasn't looking like it was going to be my 
tone. I think it, it looked like it winked a little bit way too much at itself. I think that was what was kind of happening and I was not feeling it. And it also looked very, 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 um, like kind of bright CGI to me. Mm. Uh, and I, 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 I see, I had just seen blood and gold, which I loved. And I'd just seen Sisu, which I loved. And I was like, just not down for it. Maybe in the right mood, I'd be, I'd be down for this one. And I probably would have watched it, but I was just like, eh, I got too many things to watch. I'll watch something else. I, I would ask Eric, and I think this is probably true. This seems like the kind of movie, if you watch the trailer and you're not enjoying it, you probably won't enjoy the movie. And if you are enjoying it, you probably will enjoy the movie. This feels like a, a trailer will tell you exactly what you want. You're going to get out of this movie. Am I right about that? Probably. Uh, for the second half. Yes. For the first okay. half. It, it, again, it just takes a while to get to where the trailer is promising, but gotcha. you will, you will get to the promised land. It'll just take you a little longer than I think you want to wait. So I wouldn't listen to me because I didn't watch enough of it to really talk. So. <laughs> okay, but the person who did watch everything of Mad Heidi, what is your rating? Uh, you know, I will go with three banger for this one too. Um, Fair. Yeah, if 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 you're like uh, if you watch the uh, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez's uh, um, Grindhouse, uh, if you like Hobo with a Shotgun, if you like Machete. This is another one of those type of movies. And if that's uh, if that's what you dig, this is exactly that. Okay, Eric, our final movie of the week before we get to Bruce's What's in the Box pick is this documentary called Here is Better. Obviously, you are the expert on this documentary because you did the interviews. Bruce also saw it. So what is this documentary about? It's on VOD and also playing in New York and LA. We'll get to that in a second on Friday. Eric Holmes, what is here is better about uh, it's basically just following around people with the uh, depression ptsd uh people different walks of life i think the only thing they have in common is that they're all ex-military uh from one branch or another um but uh you have different people with different ptsds for different reasons and different levels uh it just kind of goes all over on depression uh ptsd and kind of uh you know, talking about it, uh, different treatments and different things that uh, coping mechanisms that uh, you can work through. Uh, some people are su- successful at it. Others are not. Far too many are not. Um, but this is just another one of those, uh, you know, movies about something that a lot of us deal with. And hopefully this is a documentary that you can watch if you are dealing with it or, you know, someone that's dealing with it. They can maybe, uh, oh, you know what? I didn't know that was a thing I could do. I will go look into that and maybe I can get some help. Here is better. It's directed by Emmy award winning filmmaker, Jack Youngelson, Bruce Perky. You also saw it like Eric, your thoughts. Yes. On the doc. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a pretty good documentary. I think what it shines at is to really show people. I think this is going to be models of documentaries that really help people who maybe for one reason or another or not, they either haven't identified their PTSD or they don't feel like they can do anything about it or they don't feel like they should do anything about it because this does a great way. It does a great thing toward highlighting the different types of PTSD and how they're all valid. And I think that was really, really highlighted in this in a good way. For example, there's one uh, person in here who didn't really undergo like violent trauma as far as seeing his friends get blown up or getting blown up himself or seeing people shot in front of him, but he was in a constant state of threat, but he didn't feel like his PTSD was kind of real. Like, cause he knew all these people who did do 
those really extreme, like physically violent experiences. And I think it's really important in that aspect to kind of show kind of the, the different ways that it can insidiously, you know, kind of get into a person's psyche and kind of destroy them. I think the only negative side to me was I wanted to hear more about like, what is the challenge? Like, like in the actual, I guess, um, system for people to get help, because I can't believe they kind of make it look like, Hey, if you finally identify that you have these problems, just go to the VA and you'll be fine. We can take care of you. I don't say that they're not that flip about it, but they kind of make it seem like the getting to the help is kind of easy, even though the help itself might be hard to work for you, which I doubt that that's the case. I would bet that it's really hard for a lot of people to get help, even if they want it in a lot of situations. I don't know. I might be totally talking out my butt because I haven't dealt with this. And I look I can, at Eric's ready to talk. So. I can, t- I, I can speak to you uh, uh, with experience on this. It's very difficult to get help. Uh, there, there, there are suicide hotlines or, uh, there, uh, you know, um, uh, therapists you can go to all, all sorts of stuff. Um, I was in a really bad place. I needed to talk to someone. I was looking for a therapist or a psychologist near me and I did not have insurance. So they would not take me. I'm like, that's fine. I just need to talk to someone. What does it cost per hour? Uh, no, we can't do it without insurance. I'm about to put a damn bullet in my mouth. Who the hell do I talk to? And yeah. it was like pulling teeth, trying to find the right person. So Bruce, you're not wrong. However, to this, how did you doc- get help then? How did you get help uh, for that? So by the skin of my teeth. I just, okay. <laughs> I just like did a, a lot of sleeping, but uh, that's horrible. That's yeah, horrible. With lack of but, help there. But uh, to Bruce's point of this documentary, um, I, it would be great to have that in here. I think what you're touching on, Bruce, is another documentary entirely. Yeah, that that, that, is. that is not something that needs to be a piece of a documentary like this. That's another issue, a whole big problem that needs to be addressed on on I its agree. own merits. I think. I agree. I, I I just was kind of surprised that it didn't at least come up somewhere in here yeah. with these people. Yeah. That I mean, I can't imagine they all just had a had a ability to just easily find this because it can't be easy but i agree with you absolutely that would be its own documentary and should be its own documentary because i there's so much lip service to supporting our troops and this specifically is a place where i think most of troops don't get supported very much yeah. so and yeah, it's like so far by the bootstraps, yeah man. yeah we're, we're done with you now you've you've done you, you know you've been cannon fodder now we're ready to just go on and do yeah. something else anyway once you like you said that's a different documentary and yeah. not this one but what this one does i think it does pretty darn effectively so i, I would also say that i um they really brought home the idea of uh uh the 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 guy running for mayor with his wife mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, you know he was going through his depression, but you could see that she was going through her stuff too. She didn't have the yeah. same PTSD, but kind of. And we we talked secondary, about that with secondary PTSD. I think we uh, yeah. we talked about that with Bone Cold. They they touch on that with Bone Cold, where you know here's the guy, here's the guy with the the PTSD. Now he's bringing it home to his wife, and now she's got you know that that. Uh, then you also have people there dealing with the stuff that's like, uh, oh, we can get you help, and it's like, no, I don't want help. I I deserve death. Like I, I, I'm not worth saving. Like, and that, that's a very real, uh, the motion too. So yeah, this, uh, it didn't hit on the thing Bruce did, but, um, and you know, that actually that's not, I'm not crapping on you, Bruce. I think that's a really good, uh, no, I didn't take re- that re- really good point. 
Um, but uh, the stuff they did hit on, I thought it hit on pretty truthfully and pretty great. By the way, Bruce, I deserve. Uh, I, you know, I've worked so hard. I, I, I can crap on you when I, whenever I want to, correct? Can I, well, can that's, I, like, that's, that's a special <laughs> fee to do that. You have to okay, spend Got to gotta be part of our cinematics Patreon for that, folks. Yeah, uh, that's, the, <laughs> that's the poop trion that we do. <laughs> poop trion. Okay. In all, in all seriousness, what is your rating for here is better? Bruce Berkey. Uh, I think I'll go four stars. I think a, a solid, good documentary. Leave it at that. Okay. Eric yeah. Holmes. Yeah, I'd probably go probably go four as well. And I didn't even think of the thing Bruce brought up, but now they brought up. I can't unthink it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Oh yeah, that's, that's what that's, I do to people. I give them things they can't unthink. But I, I I don't know if they're if the filmmakers are listening to this because they did such a good job here. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's a sequel. Here is better, and then here is better too. Get better here or something. You know, what whatever right. they're gonna call it. But talk about actually getting. The 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 uh, you journey need. you have yeah. to go to get help, which is not yeah. which is not as easy because yeah, you're exactly right. A lot of people in these documentary, not just this one, but just in documentaries in general, they're already there. They're already in therapy. Like the the journey to get there is often a bigger hill to climb than I think most people realize. So here is better. It's playing on June 23rd, specifically in Los Angeles at the Lamley Santa Monica. If you're in New York, it is playing at the Quad. Now, if you are neither in New York or Los Angeles, you can actually check out Here is Better on VOD June 27th. And again, you can check out Eric's interviews for Here is Better over at our Find Your Film podcast feed. So finally, we're going to get to our box movie. But before we get to our box movie... We're getting to Peter Beta, who is our does a drum. Does he? Pete, you know, Pete doesn't do the drum kit. He, he does the screams every week. I'm saying we're saying drop that beat, but there's a lot of screaming this week. On I was going to say this week on on middle class film class. I think I don't know if the podcast feed is refreshed. They did he and his crew. Who are his crew? Joseph Navarro and Tyler Noe, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, am I correct? Yes. And and Peter Beta, they are doing a review of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I think that's a recent episode. They did. You guys are, are you guys a fan of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Have you guys seen it? I'm a fan of just Shane Black in general, but yeah, yeah. I'm not actually talking to Peter Beta because he's asking me some trivia questions. I'm I pretend, <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to pretend I know any oh, no. thing or two about movies. <laughs> I'm I'm staying away from that because I'm going to show. I'm already an idiot, Pete. Don't bother me with your movie questions. Yes, Eric Holmes. Um, don't bother I, me, I Peter believe- Beta. So, Bruce, your episode already aired. For Mine the, aired. The, yes, um, middle class film class trivia. Yes, I believe mine's coming out this Friday. Mm. I would just no. li- just listen to it. It's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, if Peter Beta, if I hope one of the three of us makes it to the next round because yeah, I yeah. sure did. I, I I can't say whether I made it or not, but it it, it, it's a, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I made it or not. <laughs> you got to listen to it because it there, turned out really good. I will. There, it, it's called the MCFC Movie Trivia Tournament. They've been holding it. There's like a round one that was uh, round one. Episode three was last Friday. I think they're doing a bunch of episodes for these trivia tournaments. And it, Peter Beta has been messaging me about the trivia tournament. And I think I'm going to actually just reply false. That's the only thing I'm going to say. False, false, <laughs> false, 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 false. That's all you're going to get. What Peter is Beta trivia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Pete, every single week, thank you so much for dropping that scream. Remove your hand from the box. And you die. What's in the box? Pain. All right, guys, we're back. Bruce, 
you, you, you commanded us to see Midnight Cowboy in preparation <laughs> for this documentary. You made me watch an extra movie. It's a zero star experience for me. I really hated Midnight well, you Cowboy. Know, it's okay. You'll get over it, I'm sure. It's we'll a, get you some PTSDs. <laughs> It's about a, a a male hustler named Joe Buck. He's somewhere in what is it, West Texas in Texas, and everybody's talking. But everyone's talking. The song is like everybody's talking, but Joe Buck's really not talking a little bit in the first opening minutes because he's boarded on a bus from Texas, I believe, to New York, and I think about maybe twelve to fifteen minutes, or maybe twelve-ish minutes, is devoted on that bus ride to yep. getting into New York, to New York, which is really cool. But it centers on Joe Bucks, I believe that's not his name, his experiences of life in New York. Eventually, he befriends a he's, he's not a male hustler, but he is he hustles in his own right for money and food and just for to live on the streets of New York. And that is Ratso Rizzo, who he does not like to be called Ratso Rizzo. That's that character is played by Dustin Hoffman. So Joe Buck played by John Voight. Dustin Hoffman is Ratso Rizzo. It's sort of, that was the 1969 version of the characters on, uh, what is it, Lenny and George from Of Mice and Men. They're sort of that version from the 60s. And it's directed by John Schlesinger. It's based on a novel, iconic film. I believe it won. Best picture. Best picture that year. Schlesinger won Best Director. Just a critically acclaimed film. It's iconic. What else, Eric Holmes, can I, what else can I say about Midnight Cowboy? It hasn't already been said as far as the plot uh, or anything. Uh, it's written by Waldo Scott, who oh, wrote Wal- Wal- M- Waldo Salt. Yes, Waldo Salt. M, Midnight Cowboy, Serpico, Day of the Locust, hmm? yeah, Coming well. Home. Wrote some yeah, good Wal- ones. Yeah, Waldo Salt. Yeah, yeah, Coming Home. And then John Voight won the Best Actor Oscar and for James Leo Hurley of the Hurley Boy from SNL. <laughs> yeah, yes. Let me sleep in your bed. Let the boys sleep in your bed. You're not even there. Just let them sleep in your damn bed. <laughs> <laughs> so and it's yeah again like Eric oh, said, oh wait no they, it wasn't that guy that it was someone else but someone uh, else <laughs> but it's based on that novel by that aforementioned author bruce berkey what let's uh it's your, it's your segment what's in the box i'm I gonna mean, shut up now Midnight I, honestly you guys should talk about it more because i mean i'm curious to hear your takes on it this is just one of my favorite movies period i think the it does i've seen it four or five times probably but i hadn't seen it for a good 20 years so i just thought this is an excuse to watch it again see if it's still resonates with me because you know sometimes after 20 30 years the movie just doesn't sit the same way and this is you know what from 19 was it 69 um, hey, yeah there you go uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh this movie is just uh, i think to sell it to people who are younger who have not don't really love 70s or 60s movies or just don't go back that far very often or they hear about these classic movies and are just like always disappointed to me this is a movie that you can watch and has so much to offer and is a lot funnier than they might expect. It's a surprising movie. Uh, you talked about how it's 15 minutes on the bus, which that kind of gets to the core of what this movie does so well, which is it just is like a time capsule of every place it goes. Just what is it like to ride a bus in 1969 in Texas to, to New York? What is it like to be in downtown new york in the late 60s good and bad you know high class and low class all just intermixed and like we talked earlier you know if you want to see what led to mean streets and taxi driver and all these kind of really gross versions of new york this is definitely one of the iconic first versions of that on the big screen but this watch reminded me again how surprising it is 
this does crazy stuff too with flashbacks and fantasy sequences intermixed with the actual story here. I mean, the first almost hour, you hardly even get Ratso Rizzo. But when you get, and so it's really just kind of just the whole first half is just Joe Buck, starry eyed, if you can be starry eyed, you know, <laughs> doofus thinking he's going to make it rich by, by, by servicing a bunch of rich ladies in, in New York because he's an awesome hunky cowboy. That's kind of his attitude. He's just going to go in there and it's going to be awesome. And the first hours almost is mostly just him like discovering one step at a time, how that's not going to necessarily happen that way. But then the true magic is when he meets Ratso and Rico, and that becomes the core of the of the center of this movie, it just goes to the next level. And uh, it's got so much heart, a lot of humor, some real drama, and it's got one of the most perfect endings of a movie I can imagine. I, I love this movie a lot, but I'd like to hear what you guys think of this movie. There's a sequence, and it's not a big spoiler, but there is a changing of the clothes sequence that is handled, I think, with in such a subtle fashion, and it's powerful. It's a very powerful moment if you've been following the journey, okay? And it's almost like a throwaway scene. So it's just one of those things. Bruce, you were talking about the editing of the movie the, within the flashbacks. You, you need to watch the movie several times just to even try to decipher what the flashbacks are about because they kind of don't explain themselves. Or you get a lot of these really interesting edited Im- images. There's like sort of a montage from the director's POV because you're learning Buck's flashback. Um, I guess his origin story from flashbacks. And then you get to a party and then there's a whole different kind of flashback because it's flashbacks from sort of this – uh, Andy Warhol industry kind of situation going, and that becomes very surreal. There's so many different tones in sections of this movie, and it ends so well. I think everything about this is perfect. The one thing I would say, as far as warning people for Midnight Cowboy, is not the sexuality. It was rated X for a certain sequence, but no, not that. That's a, Bob Balbin was in that sequence, but it's a tough movie to take at certain points. When it talks about the tough living in New York, if you have any kind of skin invested in Joe Buck and the life of Ratso Rizzo as friends or maybe just yeah, convenient friends because they're, they're both trying to survive. It's tough watching them sometimes because it really gets in the, the down and dirty as far as trying to make it to the next day in New York. I, I really love this movie. Eric Holmes, your thoughts on Midnight Cowboy? Yeah, this, this, it wasn't your first time watching it, right? Maybe second time watching it or something? No, it was like, uh, I think it's saw it like twice before. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- I think this has less to do. Um, I mean, maybe it inspired Taxi Driver, but I'd see something like this more inspiring. Something like Shawshank Redemption, because this is yeah, the this is the love story that's not a love, you know, an air quote love story. Um, yeah, they uh, the the experimental filmmaking uh, that they do with the uh, flashbacks are probably not what you would expect for something called Midnight Cowboy. And then the, uh, and I, I agree with Bruce, it, it's one of the best endings because it's weird because it's, they're, they're, you know, they finally made it. They're there. It's, it's bright. It's, it's shiny. Everything's in front of them. And that's when it's going to happen. It's like, mm. uh, like even John Voight's face, like when, you know, that, when his acting back. is so good there. So Cause, good. It, Cause he's like sad, but kind of confused. And kind of like, I, I, I guess I just stand here. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The way he plays that is amazing. Yeah. I wonder how much of that was 
written and how much he kind of improvised. It had to be pretty much written. And also, we're not going to talk about what actually happens at the end, but there's like a weird beat in that end that didn't have to happen. I'll just say there's a point where the bus stops. Yeah. And then another beat. And the fact that they they have those two beats as opposed to what it, it could have just gone straight to the final shot. But I think that having that extra little beat in there adds a really interesting kind of, uh, I can't say context to it. Yeah. I just I, think I, it's... I, in, oh, go ahead. I also think this is probably one of Dustin Hoffman's... I mean, this guy has to be like one of his best characters other than oh, yeah. like Mumbles from Dick Tracy and... Uh, Rain Man, uh, li- Little Big Man. Oh yeah, Rain Man. Yeah, uh, Little Big Man would yeah. probably be another one. Outbreak um, Sphere. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I was, I was really good in Outbreak, and no one ever talks about that. One. <laughs> very, very good, Eric. I was loving the Dustin Hoffman impression. Look, in fairness of Hoffman. 1967, The Graduate, one of the most iconic endings ever in cinema. And then two years later in 69, we're talking about iconic endings. Look, are we, we're not really spoiled. We don't want to spoil the the ending for you, but it is literally one of the most iconic endings you're going to see. Okay. So again, it's Midnight Cowboys worth watching other than that ending. And I feel so embarrassed that I had an interview, one-on-one interview with John Schlesinger back in 95. And I remember telling myself, I can't wait to see him in that cowboy after this review, after interviewing him. And it took me 28 freaking years to get to watching Midnight Cowboy. I saw Urban Cowboy first before Midnight Cowboy. I mean, Urban Cowboy was pretty good. Uh, I I didn't give, yes, I love Urban Cowboy. I didn't give the, the, when we talked about the, uh, uh, documentary desperate Souls, dark city and the legend of midnight cowboy i did not give it its fair due um comparing the ending of midnight cowboy to the ending of uh the graduate mm-hmm. you know they both take place in the back of a bus mm-hmm. they both start off like hey we're doing it yeah we're good and then as it goes it's like and then the realization sets in mm-hmm. yeah, reality this, Life is, sets in. this is not a happy ending what the hell <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a it's well look it's you're saying it's not a happy ending but the good thing about both endings is one can interpret it however you feel yeah. i agree with you eric i feel both of those movies do not have a happy ending but things i, I don't know maybe who knows maybe uh, maybe midnight cowboy could have a happier ending because of i mean situations i don't know but yeah. yeah, from from a certain perspective, like oh, oh uh, my heart can't beat unless you tell it to. Mm-hmm. That ending is not a happy ending, but it is for one of the characters. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good that, comparison. The character, the character will not say it out loud, but there's a great amount of relief. <laughs> yep. Oh, by the way, we're talking about Dustin Hoffman performances. And, you know, this is the Dustin Hoffman performance. I think we either covered on Find Your Film or Cinematics. Do you remember, guys, the movie that we love from Dustin Hoffman? If I recall, I really loved it. I, I think you guys oh, loved yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where his the, the, the two with the daughters and stuff in it. The daughter Sam. and the son, yeah. Sam and Kate? Yeah, that Sam was good. Directed and written by Darren Legallo. So it's, it's it, I, I guess it's available on digital right now. You can ca- catch that if you Where, want. What was the name of that one again? Sam, Sam and, and Kate. Kate. Came out in 2022, so right. hour and 15 minutes. I was in Tootsie, really, duh. Of course it was Tootsie, in Tootsie. Oh, God, how can we not say Tootsie? Of course, Tootsie's Tootsie, great. Kramer versus Kramer, right? Kramer, I love Kramer. Kramer versus Kramer was like on regular rotation when I was a kid. Uh, okay, yeah, making French toast. Marathon Man? Oh. Yeah. Right? Come on. 
Which is also uh, Little Little Fockers is a family show, and that's a family movie. It just (laughs) sounds weird. Is all Bruce? Bruce, What are you saying? Oh, is it Marathon Man? Is that yeah? Same character? Same character? Yes, it is John Schlesinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Laurence Olivier as the best the best dentist in the world, and Roy Roy Scheider's in it. So yeah, did I mention the dog sleepers hook? Did I mention Sphere and Opera? No. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So we got some- Where's Peter Pan? Definitely, definitely Hook. Looking for Peter Pan. Look at you. Look at you. With this. I love it. I love it. Eric Holmes. So, yeah. All right. We are closing on cinematics. Uh, fi- final ratings on uh, ratings. Damon on- Babbitt is Captain <laughs> All right. So five stars for me i i guess five stars for midnight cowboy eric holmes your your rating on midnight cowboy i mean it's yeah it's a, it's a classic i think this is definitely worthy of classic status could you say 6.9 stars for midnight cowboy and then we throw in the one point oh yeah we're gonna duh. add that to the documentary yeah yeah, you wanna, yeah. yeah. 6.9 stars <laughs> and then subtract it add 1.9 to the other documentary you gave 2.5 to <laughs> greg greg thanks for reminding me that, that was an that was the obvious star rating and i just completely right over my head 6.9 <laughs> stars for a 1969 movie of course Sarah yeah. no worries you're welcome sir <laughs> bruce perky your rating yes five-star classic obviously five-star yeah. classic yeah midnight Club. okay Hopefully, Bruce Berkey is taking something out of the box that is a five-star classic. What what you got for us? Well, we we it? pushed from last week, Mr. Death. Oh, you're right. Which you thought was one thing, but it's something different. It is directed by Aaron Morris, mm. and Mr. De- and it's from two or 1999. And I've heard of this movie, and I never watched it. It sounds really uplifting, but it also sounds really interesting and not really uplifting. Um, it's a cinematic portrait of the life and career of an infamous American execution device designer who just also happens to be a Holocaust denier. So this guy sounds like a treat, but uh, we will find out about it. Mr. Death. Okay. We will back. We will be back next week for cinematics with pretty big news. I was thinking it was going to be pretty big news at the end of the episode, at the beginning of the episode. Maybe it won't be so big, but it might be kind of big, but it'll be very interesting for next week. What we're going to talk about. Eric Holmes, you have any final thoughts? Yes. Go to find your film podcast.com. I put up a, I made up a, a, a movie poster mm-hmm. uh, for cinematics, hooked, obsessed, frenzied, mad cinematics. Uh, I got the uh, you and your face and my face are on the uh, basically Sabrina with Bruce's face on the scanners uh, has the, the, the lettering and kind of uh, color palette of, uh, of uh, vertigo mm. Um Rated X because we just don't watch Midnight Cowboy. I'm like, well, if we're in a movie together, it's definitely going to be rated. So I I made this poster and uh, you know just for the hell of it, and then I made a, a t-shirt and hoodie design for it. I probably won't keep the poster up much longer. Maybe like another week or two, and then I'll take it down because I don't just go take a peek at it. I don't think anyone wants to actually buy one, but the the shirts look pretty sweet. And the shower curtains, uh, cinematic shower curtains are mm-hmm. going off the, they're off the hook. They are literally off the hook. Check out our shower curtains. We're like, yes, Eric Holmes. But I think what I'm going to do, since I'm having so much fun with this, I think I might make some more of these posters, like put up like another poster, like every two weeks or something. And mm-hmm. then maybe have like a t-shirt design to go along with like the lettering or the logo or whatever I use for it. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll go with that for as long as I go with it. And as long as I'm interested in it. But if you want to go take a peek, go take a peek. If you want to buy it even better, but you don't have to. Support us on Find Your Film Podcast for merch. Uh, we have a different. Like, I don't know. I'm just. Um, we might have decals, shot glasses, horse-drawn carriage carts, uh, shopping uh, with shower curtains, a whole bunch of stuff. Find your film podcast.com. 
Thank mm-hmm. you, Eric Holmes, for doing so so much hard work for supporting our merch on Find Your Film and definitely Cinematics. Bruce Berkey, your final thoughts? My final thought is I think the news next week might be dagger-sized. Oh, da- <laughs> it, it, it would be dagger-sized, you know, if you're going by me, it might be pea-sized because maybe maybe I might have thought, oh, 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 there's, there's fingers coming out of your... <laughs> Eric Holmes, there's fingers coming out of your hand, have a hashtag family show, but we'll see what happens next yeah. week. But... Here's also Mark Ponton, Survive. If you want to check out that 45-minute interview, head over to Find Your Film Podcast, okay? For our sister-brother podcast. But until then, we're here, Cinematics, and hopefully we'll get some kind of message from Anderson Cowan next week. Take care, guys. Bye.